Uh, morning, church. So today's passage will be from 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 8 to 22. And this can be found on page 982 of your church Bibles. So verse 8. Finally, all of you, be like-minded and sympathetic. Love one another. Be compassionate and humble. Do not repay evil with evil or insult with insult. On the contrary, repay evil with blessing, because this is, because to this you were called, so that you may inherit a blessing. For whoever would love life and see good old days must keep their tongue from evil and their lips from deceitful speech. They must turn from evil and do good. They must seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are attentive to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Who is going to harm you if you are eager to do good? But even if you should suffer for what is right, you are blessed. Do not fear their threats. Do not be frightened. But in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give a reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect, keeping a clear conscious conscience, so that those who speak maliciously against you, your good behavior in Christ may be ashamed of their slander. For it is better, if it is God's will, to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. He was put to death in the body, but made alive in the spirit. And after being made alive, he went and made proclamation to the imprisoned spirits, to those who were disobedient long ago when God waited patiently in the days of Noah while the ark was being built. In it, only a few people, eight in all, were saved through water. And this water symbolizes baptism that now also saves, saves you, not the removal of dirt from the body, but the pledge of a clear conscience toward God. It saves you by the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven and is at God's right hand, with angels, authorities, and powers in submission to him. This is the word of God. Uh, good morning. Uh, my name's uh, Dave Shannon. I'm one of the ministers uh, here at church. I wonder how you're feeling after that uh, Bible reading. Are you feeling uh, puzzled? Uh, those last couple of uh, verses have puzzled uh, people for centuries. Who are these imprisoned spirits? When and what did Jesus uh, proclaim? What's Noah got to do with all of this anyway? If you're feeling puzzled, you're in good company. Uh, Martin Luther, the great uh, reformer, famously said this, This is a strange text and certainly a more obscure passage than any other passage in the New Testament. I still don't, do not know for sure what the apostle meant. And so confusion remains today with multiple views available out there and multiple variants on each one of those views. And yet I have the privilege of preaching this passage to you this morning. So thanks, Dave, uh, for, for that. Uh, and so with the puzzle laid uh, before me, I sought to really humble myself before God's Word and, and have landed somewhere, but I'm aware that where I've landed is obviously contr- contrary to some, uh, and if I need to be uh, corrected, I'm, I'm happy, to, happy to do that. Uh, but, but when we come to a passage like this, when we come to a confusing and difficult passage like this, the problem isn't with the Word of God. The problem is ours. It is, it is our problem with our own preconceived ideas, theologies, emotions. You see, the Word of God is good. And just because we struggle to work out what it means doesn't mean the problem is with the text. The problem is all ours. 
And so as I got into the text, I needed to remember who Peter was writing his letter to. And so let me remind you, he's writing to, to foreigners and exiles. That is, people who don't belong to this world, but belong to the kingdom of God, who have a living hope and an inheritance that is being kept for them in heaven. And like we saw last week in, uh, in chapter 2, verses 11 and 12, that's kind of like the summary bit for the rest of the book, we saw how they are to live, not belonging to this world, but in the world to come. They, we are to abstain from sin and to live such good lives uh, that our conduct, our behavior will see uh, unbelievers uh, led uh, to faith. Uh, and last week we saw what that looked like as we uh, submit to those in authority over us and even submitting to those in authority uh, who are unbelievers. And this week, we're going to be seeing how should we behave when we're suffering for our faith? What should our conduct be like as we suffer for trusting in the Lord Jesus? So have a look there in verse 8. Here Peter turns his attention to the the church as a whole. Have a look there, verse 8. Finally, all of you, be like-minded, be sympathetic, love one another, be compassionate and humble. Peter here lists five characteristics of the church. Uh, the first one there, be like-minded, be united, share the same thoughts and attitudes, be united in Christ, that is, be committed to and have a common understanding of the truth, that is, the gospel. But you see, we, we do it with humility, not with arrogance. So the, so the fifth point there is, uh, is humility. Other translations have like-minded, which I think is helpful, which really shows that those two things are, are related to the mind. We are to love the truth, but we are to be humble as we do it. We are to seek to obey God's word. We don't budge from the core truths, uh, but we don't impose our own views on secondary matters on other people. We, we, we need to talk about it. We need to engage, and that is a helpful, healthy thing to do. Uh, but not to write someone off as a heretic or as an unbeliever if they don't believe the same thing as us in, in a secondary matter. Because we are to be like-minded and humble-minded. Uh, the, the first and the last in that list, they, they relate with the mind. But the second and fourth, they relate to how we feel, our feelings. We are to be sympathetic and compassionate. Sympathy is a, is a readiness to, to rejoice with those who rejoice and to mourn with those who mourn. That when someone, one of us suffers, that we suffer with them. It's not, seeking, uh, it's not only seeking the good of someone else, but to really enter into how someone else is feeling in their needs and, and concerns. Uh, seeking to share and support our fellow brothers and sisters in times of hardship and suffering. Uh, likewise, we are to be compassionate in, in mercy and concern for one another. Just like the Good Samaritan, uh, the story that Jesus shared, where, who showed love without it being demanded. He just lovingly showed mercy. Unlike the religious leaders of the day uh, who were indifferent and just walked straight past. How are you tempted to, to be when our brothers and sisters are going through hardship? Are you tempted to be indifferent and walk past or to love without being demanded? You see, we are to be characterized by sympathy and uh, compassion. 
And all of these are driven by that, that third point, the middle point there, that is to love one another. That is a brotherly love, as other translations put it. We've been loved by Christ. He has saved us and given us this living hope. And so we share with, that, with each other. And so we are to love one another like brothers and sisters in Christ. You see, verse 8 is the way that we are to be characterized. This, is, this would so show, shape us that people should see this in us. You see, we can have the best theology out there. We may know all the great answers, but if we're not verse 8, if we're not this verse 8 people, we are a resounding gong or a clanging symbol. And it's particularly important when we're suffering for our faith that we are united and sympathetic and loving towards one another. Peter moves on from the conduct within the church uh, to our conduct with the world outside. Have a look there at verse 9. Do not repay evil with evil or insult with insult. Our revenge uh, is the climate uh, we live in. It's in our movies. If you like Quentin Tarantino, all his movies have a revenge plot, I discovered with a bit of a Google search. I like him. He's pretty good. Anyway, anyway, it's in our movies. It's on talkback radio as people ring up and tell you their life stories and problems. It's in the speech we hear, in the comeback comments, the put-downs, the, the snide remarks as people are wronged. It is in the air we breathe. But Peter says, it might happen in the world outside, but not so among us. Verse 9, on the contrary, repay evil with blessing. And, and in verse 10, keep their tongue from evil and their lips from deceitful speech. They may turn from evil and do good. They must turn from evil and do good. They must seek peace and pursue it. This is so countercultural. This is very different to what happens in the world outside and it is hard. Peter says that when you're suffering for your faith, when you're being persecuted, when you're being mocked, when people won't share their toys with you or chocolate, when people are being evil towards you, don't pay them back. Bless them. Respond in goodness. Be kind. Jesus says, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Do good to those who are evil to you. Do good. Uh, I was told that in the radio this week, people were uh, ringing up, sharing uh, their stories of, of getting justice for when they had been wronged. Uh, and this person rang up to explain how they would get a meat delivery into their house uh, each week. The thing is, it kept on being stolen. Week after week, their meat box kept on getting stolen. And they thought, what am I going to do? So they sought to get justice. And so they got up at 4 a.m., 4 a.m., because that's when the delivery came. And uh, they'd, been, they'd been prepared. They'd been collecting dog poo that week. They collected a whole pile of dog poo. When they took out the meat, they put the dog poo in, and uh, I assume they went back to sleep. And when they woke up in the morning, box is gone. How good is that? Justice. Justice. But it got me thinking. It got me thinking. What would it look like in this evil situation where someone's wronged us terribly, how could we bless in that situation. You know, maybe it's meeting the person who is stealing our meat and saying, hey, don't steal it, I'm going to buy you some meat each week instead. Instead of retaliating with evil, bless. 
Verse 9, have a look. Do not repay evil with evil or insult with insult. On the contrary, repay evil with blessing because to this you were called. We are called, uh, we're encouraged to bless in response to evil. It's, it's what we are expected to do. Because we have a living hope, an inheritance that is being kept in heaven for us. We have been saved. We are blessed. And we are to bless regardless of the way people treat us. And, and Peter then explains that if you are suffering for, for your faith, if you are suffering, we are blessed. Have a look there from verse 14. If you should suffer for what is right... You are blessed, blessed. And this blessing is a present reality from verse 10. Have a look there. Whoever would love life and see good days, this is a a present reality. We are blessed when we suffer for the name of Christ. But 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 what's the blessing? Like I think I think there's lots of ways that we have been blessed, but I think in verse 12 it kind of shows us. For for the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and the and his ears are attentive to their prayers. We're blessed because the Lord sees and knows everything we're going through. But more than that, he protects us. He protects us and he holds us and carries us to our salvation, our great inheritance that he's being kept for us. But not only that, he hears our prayers. As we go through hardship and suffering, we have his ear. You see, having the the blessed life here and now doesn't mean that we are free from suffering and opposition. I think the book of 1 Peter has shown that again and again, that suffering uh, is God's will and that it is good for us and he wants it to happen. And in fact, it, it grows us, it grows our faith. And I think sometimes we can be confused about what it means to, to live this blessed life. Is, is, am I blessed because I've gone on this great holiday and I'm relaxing by the beach or on the snow or by, by seeing this beautiful sunset, gee, I'm blessed. Or, or seeing the achievements of my children, I'm so blessed. But I think we see what, what, what it is when we read uh, Acts 14. Uh, when Paul and Silas, they are in a dirty, run-down prison, chained up for speaking about Jesus. Their hands and feet are in chains. Their backs are bleeding from the severe floggings they've received. But what are they doing? They're praying and singing songs. They are joyful. They are suffering for their faith, but they know that the Lord sees and hears them. You see, we are blessed when we suffer for our faith for doing good. You see, what Peter is saying is that to live rightly, to, to, to obey God and his word, we do that knowing that God sees all, that he sees everything. And because we live rightly and obey God's word and we suffer, that that is a blessing. And it's a sign of God's favor that is evidence of, of our salvation. And I think this is, this is really confronting uh, but I think a much-needed corrective. We, we do not belong to this world. Our home is in heaven, where our inheritance is being kept for us. 
And so we are to live differently from those in the world around us. We are to bless regardless of how we are treated. When we're in this uh, situation, uh, Peter gives us uh, three things uh, to, to live by. Three helpful things that will help us when we find ourselves in that situation. They are to, to fear God, to hold fast to the hope that we have, uh, and to live lives that match uh, the truth that we have. The first one there is, is don't fear those who are persecuting you, uh, the ones who are causing you to suffer. Uh, verse 14, we fear God. Have a look there. Do not fear their threats. Do not be frightened, but in your hearts revere Christ as the Lord. To, to fear man and their threats is a lack of trust in the Lord. Instead, we are to revere Christ as Lord. We're to be loyal and devoted to Him. Uh, we're to know that Christ is on our side. We have no fear. He sees all, knows all. We don't need to fear them. We fear the Lord. The second is that our hope is in Christ is to, to, is to be evident. And when it is, unbelievers may ask us about the hope that we have. Have a look there from verse 15. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. Where to explain the hope that we have in the midst of suffering uh, to, to those uh, who ask. I think when we read a verse like this, uh, we can think, sweet, I only have to talk to my friends about Jesus if someone asks me about it. But I, I just don't think that's what's actually happening here. The reason people are asking them about their hope is that they are living such radically different lives to the people around them. Uh, and so their hope is evident. Well, if you think about it, dealing with unjust suffering, instead of in, insulting, instead of reviling, uh, responding to the evil, are uh, their blessing. And of course, people will notice. I think the Amy and Tom story was really helpful in, in showing that today. But you see, I think it's relevant to all kinds of suffering. In all kinds of, of situation, it applies to the whole Christian life. But, but I think it's actually really challenging. So I wonder, have, have people asked you about the hope that you have? Uh, if no, I wonder, how do you live your life? Is it radically different from those in the world around us? Or is it exactly the same? How do you go standing for the truth, uh, particularly when it's different from those around us? So some of the recent things, I think, in our, in our time and, and climate is the plebiscite with abortion, with euthanasia. If we make a stand on these things, uh, we will be different and people will most likely uh, mock and persecute us. But I wonder if some people don't even know that you're a Christian, and they don't even know what that even means. And, he, and if, that, if that's the case, what makes you any different from the people around you? Of course people are going to say that the actions that you do, the things, the decisions you make, uh, come out of the hope uh, that you have. I was told about this uh, great conversation uh, recently by one of you guys, and it was really encouraging. I was really encouraged. Let me, let me share it with you. Someone was, uh, was telling me about this, a conversation they had with their boss and with their colleague, and they were talking about death. 
Uh, and they're talking about how they fear death and how scared they are of, of when they'll die. But the Christian was able to share um, that she doesn't fear death and it led to a conversation about the hope we have in the resurrection. How good is that? I was so encouraged. I was like, man, that's so good. The, 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 the people she was talking to, they knew she was a Christian. They knew that she lived differently, that she spoke uh, differently. Uh, and when she was asked, she was ready. She was ready and prepared to share the hope that she had in the resurrection. I love that. I love hearing stories. Share those stories with me. I love it. It makes my day. Um, we may have lived good and nice lives, but if people don't see the link by the, by the way that we live because of the hope uh, that we have, then I, then I think something's gone amiss. And we are to speak, do you see that? Uh, in gentleness and respect. We're not to push our way on people. Our strength isn't in the arguments, in the power and the, the loudness of the way that we argue with people. No, no, no. Our strength is in the Lord. He is the one that is at work. And so we, we trust God as, as, as we speak to people. We, we pray, uh, praying that our hope uh, would be their hope. Uh, and the third thing there is that, that our lives need to match uh, the truth. There from verse 16, keeping a clear conscience so that those who speak maliciously against your good behavior in Christ may be ashamed of their slander. Our lives are to match the truth so that when they mock and persecute us, it's not based on the evil we have done, uh, but that they will be ashamed uh, in the end. May our lives so match the truth that others may be one uh, for Christ. And even though Christians are suffering for evil, it is a blessing and it is God's will. Verse 17, I think this kind of sums it up uh, where we've got to so far. Have a look there, verse 17. For it is better if it is God's will to suffer for doing good rather than evil. But why is that? Why is that the case? Why should we put up with unjust suffering? You know, if, we're, if we are new to the faith, we've just recently put our, our faith in Jesus, we might be wondering, man, if I'm suffering, something, something surely has gone wrong here. We might even think that I'm suffering and so surely has, has Jesus failed? But you see, Peter gives us four reasons to encourage us to show that Jesus hasn't suffered, but that he is victorious. And these are the reasons why we can suffer for doing, uh, doing good. And the four things to encourage us are from verse 18. He was put to death in the body, that is, in the flesh. And he suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. And the second thing, he was made alive in the spirit. That is, he rose to life, the resurrection, and entered the new realm. He's entered into glory, the new order of things, without sin or death or judgment, that is gone. 3 verse 19, and in that state, in his resurrected glory, he went and made proclamation to the imprisoned spirits of his victory. He proclaims, I have died, I have risen from the dead. Sin and death is defeated. And 4 verse 22, he's gone into heaven and he's at God's right hand with angels, authorities and powers in submission to him. 
I think these four points are really encouraging for us, encouraging to us to to endure unjust suffering. You see, Jesus was victorious. His victory is, is our victory. He reigns with all authority subject to him. And suffering was the road to victory for him, not defeat. It was the road to victory. And it's the same for us, his followers. Suffering precedes glory. But it couldn't have happened without the cross, where Jesus takes our place. He substituted himself for us, the righteous for the unrighteous. And it was his death that brought an end, that will bring an end to death where Satan and evil are defeated. You see, the resurrection showed that death could not hold him down. He is victorious. And and it's whilst he's in that state, uh, in verse 19, in his ascended glory, that he goes to make proclamation of his victory. It wasn't for their salvation, but for their judgment. I have risen from the dead. Sin is defeated. Which begs the question, who are these imprisoned spirits? With a reference to to Noah and, and Uh, In Noah's day, if we look back at Genesis 6, we see that the sons of God and the the daughters of of humans, they they, they have children together, Uh, the Nephilim, these these half-God, half-man creature things, uh, and and they pollute the world. And there, and and this this rebellion of of people just generally, uh, caused the flood. And the Lord wiped them out with the flood. And consequently, some of them were, were imprisoned. And I, and I think that because of 2 Peter. Uh, it's up on the screen here. Uh, I'll read it out for us. For, uh, this is 2 Peter chapter 2, verse uh, 4. For if God did not spare angels when they sinned, but sent them to hell, putting them in chains of darkness to be held for judgment, if he did not spare the ancient world when he brought the flood on its, uh, on its ungodly people, but protected Noah, a preacher in righteousness, and seven others, and then down to verse 9, Uh, Then the Lord knows how to rescue the godly from trials. You see, these these spirits, these imprisoned spirits, are the ones whose disobedience and and sin brought the flood. Their sin was an awful judgment where mankind was wiped out except for Noah and his family. But you see, that judgment is only a glimmer of the judgment to come. And yet God rescued Noah. Noah and his family by providing an ark. But you see, Noah had to act. You see, Noah was in the middle of a desert, the middle of a desert, and God says, build an ark, and he had to obey. He had to listen to God and build an ark. And when the ark was ready, he builds the ark, the ark is ready, the the flood comes. And in the ark, Noah and his family are saved. They are brought uh, through into the new world through the flood. Water was a sign of judgment and, and it became the means of salvation for, for Noah and his family. I don't know if you've ever noticed in, uh, in children's books uh, that the Noah story is this beautiful, fun, great kind of story. Noah builds a boat and gets to chill with the animals. It looks so fun. But it would have been devastating with the only ones escaping those who came through inside the ark. You see, they were saved from God's judgment. 
uh, the water through the ark. And they entered into this new world beyond the waters. <clears throat> but what about us for, for us today? You see, we too have been saved. Uh, and we too have a water sign, ba- baptism. Uh, if we were having a baptism today, we'd have the, the pool set up here. Uh, there'd be water in it. And, but it's, water's just unsafe, isn't it? You can't live and, and breathe in water. So much so that when we have a, we're really concerned for children. We, we want to empty that pool as quick as we can because we want to keep it safe uh, away from children. But see, in baptism, we go into the water, under the water, and then up from the water, just like Jesus, who, who died and, and faced God's uh, wrath, but then came up in resurrection power and glory, into newness of life. You see, water uh, symbolises baptism. It's not the, the removal of, of dirt, that, that's a bath. Uh, it symbolises the death and resurrection of Jesus, giving us a, a clear conscience as, as we are cleansed from sin and guilt and shame and judgment. And it is a pledge that we will start to commit to live God's way. And we do this uh, from the point of our conversion. When we, we come to know and trust Jesus, it's at that point that we pledge to live for him. You see, Jesus is our ark who protects and shelters us, bringing us through judgment, who was judged in our place and brings us um, through the water, through his resurrection into an everlasting kingdom where he sits at God's right hand, having defeated his enemies and reigning in victory. You see, that is why we can have confidence in the difficulties and sufferings and issues that we face in in life. You see, Jesus is Lord, he is King, and he reigns over everything forever and ever. You see, if we suffer for our faith, it isn't a sign of defeat. Uh, It's a badge. It's a sign of us sharing in Christ's victory because nothing can separate us from the love of Christ in Jesus. Uh, And we need these certainties in life. Uh, so that we won't pull back from society or, or, or just not engage uh, with the world, but living with great confidence that as foreigners and exiles in this world, knowing that our hope is in, uh, is in heaven, that, that our inheritance is sure and, and kept there for us. We don't need to fear the evil that people may do to us because Jesus is victorious. He trod the path of suffering before us to bring us to salvation and we have the privilege to suffer too. It is a blessing. We do it knowing that Christ has been victorious and it brings us to where he reigns, where he will bring us to where he reigns in glory, at God's right hand with all powers and authority in submission to him. Um, let's, let's pray. Almighty Father God, we are so thankful uh, for your word to us and the great encouragement that we have that Jesus is victorious. He has died to sin and risen uh, in victory and sits now at your right hand, reigning uh, in glory. Father, please help us to remember this, that when we go through hardships and trials, that we won't respond and retaliate with evil, uh, but that we will bless knowing that you are victorious. Uh, Help us do that, Father, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.